You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. In just a little while, you will hear from Lions 24-7 colleagues, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen, Tyler Calvaruzzo. We've got recruiting, football, basketball, coaching search, NFL Pro Day that was here last Friday. A lot to dive into here on this episode. It's our first episode of two for the week coming to you on a Tuesday morning as we record. Um, Penn State fresh off of their latest pickup on the recruiting trail 2025 New Jersey defensive back Omari Gaines joins the 2025 class, which is off to a very Garden State feel to its 2025. Uh, Jalen Matthews, uh, offensive lineman from that state, was the initial commitment for 2025 on board. He's now joined by Gaines. And then, of course, we're just a few days removed, and we haven't talked about it here on the podcast yet, but Saturday, Luke Reynolds, tight end from Cheshire Academy up in Connecticut, committed to Penn State's 2024 recruiting class. And we've got the basketball coaching search. We've got some pro day stuff to get into. And we have a, a, a mailbag that centers on spring football for Penn State. And by the way, we're back on the practice field to see James Franklin and company on Tuesday evening. But we begin this show with focus on those two recruiting pickups and bring in Tyler Calvaruso, who is our recruiting insider at Lions 24-7. Tyler, welcome back on board. Feels good to be back, man. As always, a lot to talk about on multiple classes now, so we got a lot to roll through. Yeah, we've got a couple classes to get into, and let's start with the latest pickup for Penn State, which is just about two hours ago at this point, a 9 a.m. commitment coming, uh, being made public by Omari Gaines, as we talked about, New Jersey field at the start of this 2025 class, and this is a guy whose father is one of the more respective youth of uh, football uh, figures in all the state of of, of New Jersey. We'll talk about that and and some of the more wider ramifications of what's going on in the Garden State so far. But let's focus in on gains, Tyler. What do you make of this addition early on in the 2025 cycle? Well, I think the important thing to note is that it's early in terms of not only the timing of the commitment, but Gaines' development as well. You know, two years of high school football left for him. What is he going to be at the next level? I think that's a question surrounding this commitment that's going to be answered at some point when Gaines hits his senior year. Is he going to be a safety? Is he going to grow into that linebacker role? Because he's already six two and a half. He's sitting around 180 pounds. So he's got a frame where he's still growing into and he could definitely add some weight. So is he going to be a guy who lines up on the back end of your defense for Anthony Poindexter? Is he going to be playing linebacker for Manny Diaz if, you know, Manny's still around by the time Omar makes it to campus? I think there's some versatility to his game that I like. Uh, you know, if he does grow into that linebacker role, you're getting a backer who has coverage skills. That's always a plus in any defense, regardless of scheme. So it's an early take for sure. You know, 2025, we're talking about a second guy joining the fold very early. But, you know, there's development that needs to take place here that Penn State is going to be keeping an eye on. But there's a reason they accepted him at this point in the cycle. And it just comes down to that development factor of he could give you some versatility as a safety, as a cover guy, and he could be a backer for you potentially down the road if he grows as some people expect him to. 
Now, his father, Nasir Gaines, was profiled in 2019 by NJ.com. And the headline of that profile was, he's the most powerful man in New Jersey football. Um, Now, the interesting part is he wasn't a high school coach. Uh, He's not a college recruiter, but he runs the Brick City Lions Pop Warner team. And if you look at the premier prospects that have come out of the state of New Jersey during the last several recent cycles, a lot of them have roots Uh, A considerable percentage of them from the North Jersey region specifically have roots within that youth program. Uh, This is a guy in Gaines uh, and and his son uh, along the way has been able to get very familiar with Power 5 football coaches. James Franklin being one of them, uh, made a lot of trips to campus in the past. Omari tagged along for those we're talking about before he was even in high school. Now, a few years later, uh, the the sentiment that I gather here was there was certainly some pressure to take a longer look at Rutgers, and especially for a guy who was this early in his recruitment process. Um, But Penn State, upon this latest visit, uh, he felt like with his family on board, with his parents uh, on campus, that it was the right time to make this move. But as I said, and as you addressed early on, there's a lot more that goes into this commitment than just one player we're talking about a network in new jersey that you could really tap into here um and, and there's a bit of a domino effect to explore potentially yeah and if you're in the know in the new jersey high school football scene you know who nasir Gaines is and you know what his impact is running the brick city lines you know it's he, he's got a lot of influence in the area for sure he's a well-known name among the high school ranks the college ranks it, he produces a lot of talent roles through his program and that's definitely an element here you're just seeing really renewed emphasis on New Jersey in this 2025 class, you know, ever since the hiring of Khalil Ahmad, really, you know, you're getting two Jersey guys on board in the class. 2024, we're looking at Kaj Sanders and Vabu Torre. They're going to be taking official visits. So just that overall renewed emphasis on Jersey, you're starting to see that come back more. And it's been a while since Penn State signed a Jersey guy. I think, you know, they're that's trending towards ending at this point. So I would say that's good news given some of the talent in the Garden State. And when it comes to the timing for gains, it's like you said, he was being pulled in, you know, other directions, but Penn State was a school that he had visited a bunch. That's one thing that he said to me last night when we got the chance to talk prior to his commitment announcement. We got the chance to catch up, and he was saying, I visited a lot of schools. I've been to Penn State a bunch, and every time I get to Penn State, I learn more about just football. I learned what the school has to offer. I learned, you know, the importance of education. I learned about the the importance of having relationships with your coaches outside of football. He felt that kind of family feeling that a lot of recruits say they feel when they come to Penn State. That was a big factor behind this game's commitment. So between the player himself, you know, the pipeline that his father brings to the table, it's an important get for Penn State at this early in the cycle, I would say. And again, we're talking about another rangy defensive back in terms of the length right now he's got some athleticism i think to build up here these next couple years we'll be watching that element of his game closely and and also how he translates as he continues to grow physically at the next level like you said there are a couple pathways to for him to power five football on the defensive side of things and this is a guy who spent last season at saint peter's prep he has now uh, made the move to uh, shabazz in newark and and when we talk about someone that we're trying to wrap our heads around, Omari Gaines probably now vaults toward the top of the list of prospects I would love to see in person on the spring recruiting uh, circuit. I know you'll have a, a good opportunity there. I'd imagine to see some of these New Jersey guys in action in the coming months, Tyler. Yes. Um, but also a guy that's going to, I'd imagine, come up here to Happy Valley and we'll get a chance to really measure him up against some of the peers, guys who are offered, guys who are committed, guys who are not yet offered. 
uh, maybe come out of May and June with a better prospect profile of who Omari Gaines is at this point, because I think we've got a lot to learn with what what awaits him at Shabazz. Yeah, yeah, especially when it comes to what we just talked about with the positional development. What is he at the next level? I think the answer to that question is going to be, you know, based on how he produces at Shabazz and how he's utilizing that defense. You know, y'all keep in mind, he's going from playing at two North Jersey prep schools in Pope John and St. Peter's Prep. He's going to Shabazz. That's a group one school. So it's going to be, it's either group one or group two. I believe it's group one off the top of my head. So there's definitely a difference in the level of competition. You know, he, he is definitely going to be taking a step down in that regard, I would say. But for some guys, that really does aid them in their development because they can really find themselves as a player, right? You know, when you're going up at Pope John and St. Peter's Prep, you're playing the best of the best every single week. And yes, it is definitely a good thing to play against that top competition and really be thrown into the fire against elite players who are going to be playing FBS football and division one football and some that you're definitely going to see in the big 10 as well. But sometimes, you know, when guys wind up in a different situation where they're in the public school ranks and they're at a smaller public school at that, they can really find themselves. They can really zone in on their own individual development and really figure out who they are as a player and what they want to be at the next level. I think Gaines, my big thing that I noticed with Gaines when I was talking last night, man, high football IQ. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's looking for. He knows what he's doing on the field. So I think a guy like him, he's going to be able to really zone in on the things that he wants to improve on a weekly basis playing against that public school competition. I think it, it, there's definitely a chance it can be beneficial for him. You mentioned a couple of those New Jersey names on Penn State's target board. I'll throw another one in there because uh, you know he was part of your, your wrap-up from the weekend. Jalen McLean uh, out of Seton Hall Prep in West Orange, New Jersey, another defensive back in, in, that, in the 2024 class. And Jalen Matthews, who I referenced earlier, he's a top 100 overall prospect in the, t- uh, the 2025 rankings at 24-7 sports, a Tom's River North offensive lineman uh, who started off this 2025 class for Penn State with a January 30th commitment. And you've written up, and most recently on Tuesday morning, in your tidbits piece on the site about how there is some momentum to be uh, found here in the 2025 cycle, and not just in New Jersey. Yeah, in Texas of all places, right? 2025 recruiting in Texas in March of 2023. (laughs) It's it's something, man. But hey, look, that's that's the way recruiting works. Yeah, you got two guys in Texas that Penn State is faring really well with at this point. First of all, you got Keandrea Barker. He's a top 100 running back out of the woodlands down there, and he's going to be making it to campus next month. I believe April 8th is his visit date. He is called Penn State his dream school, and I, I know that probably opens some eyes and catches some people by surprise. You're saying a kid from Texas calling Penn State his dream school. What the heck's going on there? Loves the running back pedigree. Big Saquon Barkley fan. Has really been paying attention to what Jay Wan Sider has accomplished with his running back, specifically this past season with Katron Allen and Nick Singleton, his true freshman. I know that's something I always touch on with running back recruits on here, but it keeps coming up, man. So, I mean, you know, it's one of those things that recruits are really, really taking notice of, and it's playing a big part on the trail. And then beyond Barker, you have his Woodlands teammate, wide receiver Quanell X. Farrakhan Jr., who – He's not a top 100 prospect like Barker, but he's still a hell of a player split out wide. He's going to probably be a top 24-7 guy, in my opinion, when it's all said and done. We'll see where his development takes him, but I love his tape. I think that he brings a lot of good things to the table at receiver. And those two, from what I've been hearing, have discussed playing together at the next level. And even before Barker was such a Penn State lean, Farkin Jr. had Penn State among his top five. So I think you're looking at a situation where, where those two could definitely link up in Happy Valley and decide to call State College home. Now, 2025, Texas guys, it's going to be a battle. 
until the end. It's, it's always a battle to get guys to sign, but especially when we're talking about two guys who may possibly pop early from out of region, it's going to take a lot. But it comes back to what I always say. My personal opinion is I'd rather, if I'm a staff, I'd rather battle to keep a kid committed than battle to get a kid committed in the first place because I feel like you already won half a battle in that regard. I think if a kid is comfortable enough to commit, there's a reason for that. And, you know, he's going to listen when it comes to why you want to keep him on board. And it's going to take a while if those two do commit because, you know, you're going to have to recruit them hard for another two years. But it seems like I don't think either of them are rushing into a decision or making a hasty decision where they don't feel comfortable if Penn State is their pick. So we'll be keeping a close eye on those two. There's a lot going on in 2025 right now, man. I know 2024 is the focus, but a lot of traction in 2025 early in the cycle. Let's pump the brakes in the high school sophomores for now. That was good yes. intel, but but Luke Reynolds climbing on board with the 2024 class. He'll be a senior this upcoming fall. Penn State, of course, just signed three tight ends. Two of them are on campus as early enrolled freshmen. The highest rated of that three is Andrew Rappelier, who will be on campus this summer trying to make his push in a scholar in a room that features seven scholarship athletes here in 2023. It'll be a new look room by the time Luke Reynolds arrives. We'll see who's proven themselves and who's still around campus next year. But this is a guy who has plenty to prove in his senior season because at six foot four and a half, pushing six foot five, 220 pounds at the Cheshire Academy, we're going to see him go all in at tight end in 2023. That's a pretty exciting proposition. He played a considerable amount of his high school snaps last season at the quarterback spot. Lo and behold, they had Dante Reno. And, and this is a guy, a quarterback that I've been high on for a while out of the Northeast New England area. He's committed to the South Carolina Gamecocks. He's camped a couple times at Penn State. This dude can really light it up as a passer. And he's got this tight end prospect who right now, Luke Reynolds is the number 45 tight end in 247 sports assessment of the 2024 class. But this guy is on stock rising watch because of what's going to happen and his ability to make that transition to a positional focus on his college position. It's a big step for him. And additionally, he has a legitimate power five quarterback throwing the ball. A lot, a lot of tight ends have high level quarterback play. Not a lot of tight ends are even asked to, uh, to run a lot of routes at the high school level, which is why it is a difficult position to evaluate at times. But Luke Reynolds, to me, I love where they got him on this trajectory. It might not be the headline grabber because of where he is in rankings when he committed on Saturday, but I think come signing day with the senior year under this kid's belt, what he has ahead of him potentially to gain, we're talking about a guy that the rankings council with 24-7 sports I think is going to have a lot more to chew on come December. Yeah, I mean, with Reno, you're right to be high on him. He's a heck of a passer. When I was covering Boston College, I was shocked that they didn't offer him. But as for Reynolds, the first name – that comparison wise that pops into my head with Reynolds is Ty Warren. I, I just see a lot of similarities between those two, but there's also some pretty important differences that need to be noted. Cause I think those same differences are a reason why Reynolds is in, could be in for a big senior season and why I think he's a guy we need to keep an eye on as a potential rankings riser and just really a player who could take his development to the next level as a senior. So as everyone knows, I mean, Ty Warren was playing a lot of quarterback during his high school career. Reynolds only playing tight end and not only playing tight end, he's playing tight end with a power five quarterback throwing him the ball. And he's not being asked to do a lot of, you know, the junk stuff and the little nuanced stuff that a lot of high school tight ends are asked to do. He's going to get to go play the position. He's going to get to go run some routes. He's going to be able to get to develop his overall skill set as a tight end. And I think that was something that I highlighted as very important for Reynolds 
back when he picked up the offer last week when we first talked about him, I thought there was still some development that had to be done. As far as he has come, he had a really good junior year. I think there are even bigger things on on the horizon for him from a development standpoint. I think being at Cheshire, and now that Dante Reno is there, I think you're going to see a situation where Reynolds is going to see a lot of passes thrown his way, and he's going to get the chance to showcase those hands, improve his route running, just improve overall as a player, and that bodes well for his future at Penn State. And this is another kid who I just think fits really, really well off the field, in addition to on the field. He's high on academics. He's a big culture guy, big character guy. Really liked that about Penn State when he made it to campus. He was talking about his relationship with Ty Howell and how he felt comfortable with him, you know, just as a person. He felt good being around him. And that played a big part in this coming together so quickly. It, he had been on Penn State's radar for a while. You know, we camped last summer. They monitored his junior season. But he was a guy that were keeping an eye on. They get him back to campus for spring practice, issue the offer. week later, done deal. He always wanted to play in the Big Ten. It's really what it came down to. And Penn State was a school that he really wanted to do it at. Boston College was in pretty heavily before that. Stanford was getting some consideration because, like I just said, academic kids, Stanford degree, everyone knows the deal there. But Penn State, he felt good enough to call that one home, and he's going to stick, and it's going to be interesting to see his development throughout his senior year. Yeah, only a one-week period from offer to commitment to get it done with the guy whose profile was on the rise. And, and as you said, that the offers were there, and, and, and it wasn't just Stanford and the higher-level academic institutions. You've got Duke on that list. Uh, Penn at the Ivy League ranks on that list as well. So a well-rounded prospect here in Luke Reynolds, a guy that we'll get a chance to really evaluate more in the coming months uh, through some camp circuit stuff. And then once he hits on the field, not going to see him taking snaps and working behind center this year. Going to get to see him really operating as a full-on tight end. Uh, I know we're excited to see it. I know our rankings council at 24-7 Sports will be keeping close tabs on Reynolds' development. Uh, elsewhere in the 2024 class, just a couple updates to get to regarding two of the top targets on that board, a couple uncommitted guys. Let's stick with the Pennsylvania theme. We talked about it uh, on a recent episode about how Penn, uh, Penn State was really laying the foundation in the 2024 cycle to have a big in-state class. They've got three guys on board. The biggest fish out there is considered Quentin Martin, and he was back on campus just a couple days ago. Yeah, you know, I got to campus on Monday, and I would say probably Penn State's biggest visit of the spring to date, and they did a really good job with him. You know, we received a lot of feedback and commentary about Martin's quotes coming out of the visit. It was like, oh, well, he doesn't sound excited about Penn State. Or, oh, he doesn't say, you know, you don't know how the visit went based on those quotes. He's been to campus about eight times now as an in-state kid. You know, there's only so many things he can say about Penn State. He's already so familiar with the program, just the way things work there. And he, he's got such a good relationship with the staff at this point. He's high on the Nittany Lions. You know, he's going to be back for his official visit in June. I think that's really noteworthy beyond just the fact that it, it's a guy taking an official visit. Martin has been to campus so many times. And he got back Monday with his family, you know, for a more intimate kind of a visit where the family was able to see more about what Martin's life at Penn State would be like if he were to play for the Nittany Lions. And I would say that definitely made an impact based on what we've been hearing. And really just the fact that he's deciding to come back for a multi-day official visit after being to campus so many times and getting an in-depth look along with his family on this most recent visit, it, it speaks to the level of interest and in how seriously he is considering the Nittany Lions in his recruitment. I think it's big that Penn State has stuck with him as a running back target for pretty much from the start of this. I, I know with Nick Singleton, you know, they started out recruiting him as a linebacker. Obviously, it worked out for Penn State in the end. But, you know, maybe there was some concern with Martin that, position-wise, because he is versatile and he could do different things for you at the next level. But, no, he's going to be a running back target for Penn State. It's been that way from the start. That's something he likes. So, Penn State definitely right in this mix. You know, we talk about Ohio State a lot with Martin. 
The Buckeyes, you know, their running back board is taking shape as it will, so we'll be keeping an eye on them. Pittsburgh's involved as well. You know, there's we talk about NIL with Martin a lot. But, you know, Pittsburgh might be in a position to go all in on the NIL front with Martin. We'll see what comes about there. But him coming back for the official visit in June, that's my biggest takeaway coming out of this most recent trip. I, I think it was important for Penn State to lock that down, and the staff did a good job getting it done. Penn State's in a great spot from the familiarity standpoint yes. uh, with Martin. And, and it's you can say the same about where they're at with Jalen Harvey, who's a four-star composite edge prospect out of the same high school in Maryland that produced Chop Robinson, who obviously had a phenomenal first season with this program. But Harvey back to campus, and he's a guy that, that we've been trying to track. The unofficial visits have stacked up. Would they get the official visit? Any kind of momentum moving in that regard? Definitely. You know, it, again, we got, we got the chance to catch up with him coming out of his visit and he was talking a lot about how he and his family were so moved by the video presentation that James Franklin showed and they felt that it hit home for them and it was something that they could relate to. The last recruit to have that kind of reaction with James Franklin video presentation was KV on keys. So I, I asked the question, how, how did that one turn out for Penn state? Yeah. I'm just being honest at this point. I feel like Harvey's going to get out. He's going to make his visits this summer. He's going to do his thing, but you read some of the feedback that comes out of his visits and just knowing the relationship that he has with the staff and just how comfortable he feels in Happy Valley. I've got a tough time seeing him ending up anywhere but at Penn State at this point in his recruitment. And our crystal balls, you know, they still reflect that. I really, really like where Penn State is at with him. And even though, you know, they locked down the official visit coming out of this trip. And I know in the past, Harvey had said that, you know, he wasn't going to use an official on Penn State because he had visited so many times. He's already so familiar I always had the feeling he was going to make his way back or officially. It just seemed like he was going to circle back to that. And now that is coming to fruition. So add him to the June official visit schedule. It's, it's a busy one already. And he's going to be one of the more important names making it back to campus. Yeah, and I have one of those names to address with you because Emilio Agard has been on the radar for a very long time. Power five offers going back to his freshman year. And when you're at a place like St. Joe's Prep in Philly, that can happen to you uh, when you get on the field early. Uh, now he's a few years uh, advanced into that recruitment process. He's a three-star in 24-7 sports assessment, and he has an official visit lined up uh, for June with the Nittany Lions. Can you give us a bit of an update on where this recruitment process stands? Because it feels like this is a prospect profile that has really evolved in a big way since he surfaced on the national platform. It has. You know, he's dropped a little bit in the rankings since then. He's, he's still a quality player and who is you know on the radar of a lot of top-tier Power 5 programs. I think at this point, what I would say is Penn State really likes the two Florida guys in Jameer Grimsley and John Mitchell in Jacksonville. Those two are really priority targets for them at corner right now. They already have Kenneth Wosley on board from Philly Imitep. So we'll see where the board stands when he makes it, when Agard makes it to campus for his official visit. But right now, I could tell you that Penn State is prioritizing guys who are a little bit higher on the board right now. But, you know, like I said, it's, it's a month from now. It's a month and a half. Actually, it's two months from now. Jeez, I'm losing track of the calendar. But uh, we'll see where the board is when he makes it to campus. Things happen. It's recruiting. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep our finger on the pulse as the off official visit list comes together. It's going to be a big one uh, weekend by weekend in that month of June, just as it has been in the past. And let's finish with this before we turn to Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon to talk a little bit about this Penn State basketball coaching search. I know there's been some visits in recent days over the weekend, a lot of coverage of that at Lions 24-7. There's another notable top 24-7 visitor on campus Tuesday supposed to be in town. A uh, couple names that, that our listeners should be aware of that have been to campus or getting to campus and uh, the ramifications of these trips. 
I know we kind of moved away from the underclassmen for a little bit. Over, I got to uh, I got to circle back to them now. Coming out of this Go weekend, ahead. two guys really stood out to me. Twenty twenty five Pittsburgh tight end Brady O'Hara. I feel like with tight end being more of a priority for Penn State next cycle, O'Hara is going to be a name we're talking about a lot. I feel like he's going to be one of those guys at the top of the board, and he's Penn. He's got Penn State at the top of his list really early in his process. He's kind of you know he's made a name for himself in Pittsburgh more as a defensive end. I believe he had like almost 50 tackles and 11 stops for a loss last. He was a first-team all-conference player as a defensive end. Only caught five passes at tight end as a sophomore, but it seems like that's where his future lies at the next level. At least that's how Penn State is viewing him. And I think 6'6", 235 pounds, he's in that range. Already the size is there. So Penn State likes that. They like the, they like the intangibles with him. So I think – as that tight end board continues to take shape, O'Hara is going to be a guy that we keep circling back to as a priority and one of the top names. And then, you know, we're going to go even further in 2025. Now we're going to go to 2026 with Trinity running back Messiah Mickens, who made it to campus for the first time in a while. He got back on campus last weekend. He loves Happy Valley, man. That's, that's a direct quote for him. It's, it's always a good time for him up in Happy Valley. And – it's still, again, you know, it's the old adage. It's still really, really early, and he's going to get out, and he's going to make his visits. He's checking out. He told me he's going to be at Michigan, Notre Dame, and Ohio State this spring alone. So we're talking about a big-time recruitment already. That much is evident. But I really like where Penn State is at with him early. If, if he is a guy that decides to wrap, one early, uh, wrap his recruitment up a little bit earlier than we expected, he'd be one of those guys I predict to do that. Just because it seems like the relationship with Jaylon Sider has come along so nicely. And you got the obvious Penn State ties with Jordan Hill being his high school head coach. So, the, you know, he hears a lot about the Netney Lions. And he was thrilled to make it back to campus. And he's, he's talking to me about already getting back for the spring game. So we're talking about two visits in the span of less than a month, really. I got to double-check the dates on that. But I believe that would be two visits in less than a month. So... Mickens, definitely a name to know, not only as an in-state guy, I mean, just go look at his offer sheet, man. He's already got Bama, Notre Dame, all, all, the, all the big names in 2026. So he's going to be a really highly ranked prospect when his time comes. He's still a little bit away from that, but he's going to be one of the names who's high on the Penn State board, the running back board, him and Savion Hyder. Those are two guys I'm keeping an eye on in 2026 right now. Hyder down in Virginia, same high school that produced recent uh, Penn State linebacker Brandon Smith down there. So a lot to look at. Uh, Tyler, you're talking about, I think, three or four recruiting cycles in one segment. So we appreciate the uh, the ability to be, be flexible with the, the conversation and break down these two uh, new commitments in Gaines and Reynolds. Plenty of coverage on both of those guys and everything else happening in Penn State recruiting, including, again, a top 24-7 visitor on campus today available for our VIP subscribers on the site. Thank you, Tyler. Yeah, we covered a lot of bases, man. Good to be back. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Uh, let's turn our attention over to the Penn State basketball coaching search, which is ongoing now. Of course, last Wednesday, Micah Shrewsbury news broke that he would be heading to Notre Dame, taking over the Fighting Irish. By Friday, you had official uh, announcements from Notre Dame, from the Shrewsbury family. That has happened. Penn State now moving forward, looking for their new leader and trying to juggle a lot in the process. Let's get into it with Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan right now here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. And fellas, it's now been, I guess, 10 days, 11 days since the basketball season ended. It has felt like they've packed a lot into this offseason already, though. And before we get into the details of this coaching search and what's going on with the Nittany Lions roster, the centerpiece conversation right now in the world of Nittany Lions athletics, it wasn't the pro day event that took place last Friday. It wasn't the commitment that Penn State picked up this morning. It's not the third week of spring football practice that we usually be fixated on. It is the status of Penn State basketball in 2023 and what it's going to look like moving forward in terms of the commitment from the university, the fan base, a lot of people viewing this as a fork in the road kind of moment. And thus, we have some considerable infighting that has spilled out into the public forum. We saw Jay Paterno, Michael Mowdy. That's the tip of the iceberg. I think, Mark, you well know there's a lot happening, bubbling beneath the surface. Can you give us, from your perspective, decades of covering this community, decades of covering this program? I'm old. Where, <laughs> as the old guy on the show, uh, yeah. What kind of a moment is this community facing right now? I was just yelling at some kids to get off my lawn out there. Get out, get out of here, you kids. Listen, we talked about it last week, right? You know, my primary issue with the way that the whole uh, Micah Shrewsbury situation was handled is that there was such a lack of um, clarity on what Penn State was or was not willing to do from an NIL perspective. Uh, and even just in, in general terms, you know, that kind of came and went with with Pat Kraft never addressing anything other than once uh, Micah left, you know, he gave the obligatory we wish him well and, you know, things are going to be fine, which it, which is great. I mean, if that's what he wants to take. But what we're seeing right now is what I was getting at, the lack of messaging. I mean, th- this whole thing with success with honor – they need clear voices. And listen, I've known Jay Paterno for a long time. Our kids went to school together. He's a super intelligent guy. He's well-meaning. But he nobody could even argue this point. He is one of the most divisive people in the Penn State sports world. And you guys know it from our message boards, right? We have the, we have the, the, big, the biggest message board covering Penn State sports, and I'm not saying that bragging, but we have our finger on the pulse of what fans are kind of thinking. And he is one of the most divisive people. And no greater evidence of that than he says something and one of the most beloved players ever in the history of Penn State football calls him out on Twitter. And uh, listen, uh, who's right, who's wrong? I'm just saying that they need to get their act together. And I will also say that we received an email, and, and this isn't anything. We get an email about the revamped NIL collective success with honor from an intern. And God bless this intern who I'm sure is working extremely hard. But if you're reaching out to, to media outlets with a student intern, 
and again, this kid, I'm not even going to mention his name because I think he's, I'm sure he's working extremely hard and I'm, I, I bet he's doing it for nothing. But you're talking about a multi-million, this is, should be a multi-million dollar operation and this is the way you're going about it. And, you know, my take is they have to get their stuff together. And that's the issue is that, okay, so when you're in Micah Shrewsbury's shoes and you see what's going on, they could say that, yeah, we offered him whatever he wanted and blah, blah, blah. You think coaches aren't seeing this? I mean, you think people from outside aren't seeing what's going on here and scratching their heads and thinking, what the hell? I mean, we're more than a year into this. When Pat Kraft arrived, one of the first things he said was that, and, and this was on, on, a, on a phone call to, to prospective donors, and I don't care that it's getting out there because I've said it before, and I think he said it in different ways, is that Penn State was way behind with respect to NIL. And how much, how much headway has been made if you're still having infighting at this point? So they need to get clear voices involved with this, whether it's success with honor, whatever it is. And the infighting has to stop. And I just think that if you have Jay Paterno in the middle of it, and again, I like Jay. I have viewed him as a friend, you know, once he got out of coaching and I didn't have to cover him anymore, but there's no questioning the fact that he's a divisive factor in the Penn state sports world. He just is. And I'm not saying it's his fault. He just is. And he can't be the leading voice of this. So other voices have to emerge. And I think once this coaching hire is finished, I think Pat Kraft, he can't be the sole voice of NIL because that's not his job. But I think he has to be able to better explain how important it is to fans. So I know that's, what I'm today, uh, that's my take on it. Sounds like one of you just had your, your house hit by a dump truck. Not me. I don't know. <laughs> the, the garbage truck is here. Oh, there we go. <laughs> well, the Explosions Daniel, are going uh, off in the background now. <laughs> <laughs> you text you text us in our group thread just as we were getting set to record here that that there are some things happening behind the scenes. It's hard to figure out exactly when when these things get set up, but share with our listening audience what you have uh, learned here in the last little bit. Yeah, the board of trustees uh, subcommittee on compensation has uh, meetings scheduled for Wednesday, Thursday, and, and Friday of this week. Um, you know, that's always kind of a that's a big step uh, towards finalizing a contract, getting something approved. Um, and I think that that kind of signals that things are in gear, um, you know, perhaps we'll be you know, headed towards a, a conclusion at, at, at some point soon. You know, who knows whether or not they're going to meet on all three of those days, uh, if it'll get taken care of, you know, Wednesday, Thursday or Friday. But I think that when you're kind of piecing together uh, some of the you know, clues or just kind of the, the machinations to get to this point. Um, I think that's something that that stands out and, you know, might signal that we're, we're close to a, a conclusion. But, you know, the subcommittee was supposed to meet uh, right before the NCAA tournament started. And, you know, that didn't really lead anywhere. So you know, we'll see see what happens uh, this time around. And as we're all trying to track the different signals, reports surfacing on Monday that Mike Rhodes, VCU's head coach, met with Penn State on Sunday. That was according to Stadium's Jeff Goodman. I know there were some other reports there about Rhodes. And uh, this was a name that came up over the weekend when we were texting back and forth. And Mark, you had uh, some information that suggested that Rhodes was going to be at least emerging as a bit of a priority. Adam Fisher dangling out there as well, you know, associate head coach. 
viewed as one of the top candidates for the Temple job, which is there. And I know a lot of Penn State folks want him to stick around. We've already heard from a bunch of Penn State players from this March Madness run that think Fisher should be the guy. Mark, can you kind of make sense of where we're at in the coaching search and maybe specifically addressing Rhodes and Fisher and their role in all of this? Yeah, I think Rhodes would be the priority, and rightfully so. And I think if if Pat Kraft is able to pull this off, I think it'll be tremendous for Penn State. I mean, this is a, a Pennsylvania guy from Mahanoy City in the coal region, uh, not far from my beloved Hazleton. And in fact, I learned from friends that he used to come up to Hazleton to play some pickup ball because everybody knows how great Hazleton basketball is. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, you, you look at what Rhodes has done, and uh, it's not just that they're winning you know, 20, 22, 27 games last year. It's the way they're doing it. And I won't get into all the stats, but statistically, this VCU was one of the best defensive teams in the nation year after year after year. And why is that important? Because I think if you're going to be at Penn State and compete in the Big Ten, you're going to have to have something that you could hang your hat on that's a little bit different. And, you know, last year it was three-point shooting and really protecting the ball with Rhodes. It's this unbelievable defense, and they protect the ball very well uh, as well. And if you look at the Ken Palm stats, there are things that just glare out at you. And I think that's the sort of thing that could kind of set Penn State apart. But I think the other big thing is, you know, this guy has been successful. Uh, His dad was a state senator in Pennsylvania. He went to school in Pennsylvania. He has Pennsylvania roots. And what did we just learn from the Micah Shrewsbury situation? If you're in a position where you can get a coach with ties to the local area, maybe you're going to have some more staying power. Maybe if they get to the tournament in two or three years, he's not going to be looking for the first opportunity. And I think if you look at what he's done at VCU, where they've been to the tournament for multiple years, this isn't a guy who's jumped around. So I think this would be a great landing spot for him. I don't want to speak for him, but I think if he does end up here, you could be looking at somebody who is actually better positioned to have Penn State set up for long-term success than Shrewsbury was. And I only say that because I think all of us realized at some point Shrewsbury was going to look to get back to Indiana, whether it was at this Notre Dame situation that popped up that I don't think most of us expected before the season, whether it was when Matt Painter retires, if that ever happens, or when it uh, when Woodson wears out his welcome in, in Indiana, which is probably going to happen in the next couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, I think if you're a- if he's able to pull this off, this will be an unbelievable bounce back for Pat Pat Kraft. So let's see if you're the, the alternative though is if you're not able to pull it off, if you're not able to get, you know, use your leverage for a hometown guy, have the wherewithal, as it were, to be able to get a coach, an A10 coach, to come to the Big Ten in his home state then I think that's another kind of difficult indictment. But I think Mike Rhodes is clearly the key guy that they're looking at, and I think if they're able to get him, it'll be an unbelievable hire for Penn State. Just completed year six at VCU. As Mark said, 27 wins on the season. They were the Atlantic 10 champs. Uh, got to the tournament. They were bounced in round one by St. Mary's 63-51 to 51, uh, back on St. Patty's Day. Um, I mentioned Fisher there. Um, you know, th- that's that's the one that we heard from very quickly, Daniel, in terms of those senior core guys. Um, you know, certainly, if you check our message boards right now, there's still a strong contingent that feels like Fisher should not only get a full look as a candidate here, but he should be a priority hire. Um, apparently, Temple may feel the same way here. What do you make of the Fisher situation in all of this? 
I think looking at, at Fisher as a candidate, I think the one area that that people get a little hung up on that I wouldn't necessarily <clears throat> is prioritizing the need for stability. Uh, you know, I think that you look at Penn State and obviously you know, I think stability is something that you do look for uh, in hiring a candidate, but you don't want to make that your your top priority. And I think when people talk about Adam Fisher as a candidate, that's kind of the, the first place that they'll go that you know, he'll bring continuity from what Micah Shrewsbury was building. You know, he is a Penn State guy. Um, you won't have to kind of necessarily worry about the the same things with what we just talked about, you know, wanting to go home. You know, he seems like someone that would be in it for the long haul. But, you know, I think prioritizing that sort of sells Fisher short as a candidate. You know, we've seen the job that uh, he's done recruiting uh, in, in his short time at Penn State. And we saw what he did at Miami, helping bring some Pennsylvania and Philly area guys down there, you know, working under Jim Laranega. You, know, you look at what the Miami program has done this month. You know, you can see that that's a winning program uh, that he has a lot of experience in. And then, you know, on top of that, working under Shrewsbury, you know, Fisher had the scout for, you know, some of the biggest games of the season for Penn State. <clears throat> you know, he had it for uh, Illinois and Purdue in the Big Ten tournament. I believe he had it for Northwestern as well. Um, and then he had the Texas A&M scout in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, we saw how those games you know, worked out for Penn State. So, you know, I think that he's someone who might be a little bit you know, almost underrated when you look at certain uh, characteristics of him as a candidate. You know, I think a lot of people after what just happened and, you know, rightfully so as a fan, you know, having this response, you know, you, you just got left. You don't want to get left again. You know, it's a very relatable uh, feeling. And so I think that you can look at Fisher and it's easy to seize on the fact that he is a Penn State guy. Um, you know, he's not going to be looking at Indiana uh, or something like that. So but I think that there's more to him as a candidate than that. And that's something that you know I've been thinking about the past couple of days, you know, looking at, at what he might be able to bring. I think that he could end up being a, a pretty interesting hire if, if it comes to that. And, and Fisher is still shy of 40 years old. He's a 2006 graduate of, of Penn State. Um, Mike Rhodes, by the way, 50 years old. Um, so we'll keep tabs on this. A lot of conversation over at the message boards, alliance247.com. A tremendous amount of, of insight being gathered by people who are directly involved in the conversations right now. And, fellas, it, it, I mean, we have a lot to talk about basketball, but it feels like this moment in time in general, it was going to happen. I mean, as long as we were hearing – James Franklin drop all drop these trail of breadcrumbs. And in the past, Micah Shrewsbury dropping these trail of breadcrumbs. As long as we were hearing coaches saying it needs to get better, we're falling behind. We're 13th out of 14 in the Big Ten. Schools like Ohio State are are, are gonna surge and we're not. As long as those warning signs were being put out, it felt like a moment like this was inevitable. But Mark, in the it, at the crux of this is basketball. But does it feel like this is gonna be viewed at, at a year or two down the line? as a turning point, in your opinion, for Penn State embracing what is the reality of modern college athletics? Or, on the flip side, could it be a frustrating grind from here on out because things don't get accomplished? Well, it depends on how the powers that be handle it. And and that's where I think there could actually be a silver lining to all of this because I think for um, you know a, a year now, a lot of people have kind of had their heads in the sand, so to speak. They, they haven't been they have not been wanting to have these conversations and maybe this Micah Shrewsbury situation forced the discussion so whatever your 
whether you agree with the things I say or whether you agree with what a, a Jay Paterno says or whether you agree with what a Mike Motti says or whether you agree with what a Pat Kraft said, says, these are conversations that need to be had. And the fact that they are being had, I think, is very important. And that's why I think when they emerge, I, I, I'll mention it again, I think when they emerge from this situation, you got to stay laser focused right now if you're Pat Kraft and get your basketball coach hired. And hire the best possible person you could get. And if that's Rhodes, I think it would be great. I, I think Fisher would be a very good hire, too. And I like Mike, Matt Langle from Colgate. I mean, there are quality candidates out there. But get zeroed in, get that done. But then I think that they have to be proactive in the messaging on NIL. And again, if you're doing a revamp now of the major collective, what is that telling you? It's why, why was this not all in line? Why did it take this to, to, to bring it in line? But again, the good news is maybe this is what brings everything in line and gets people having the discussions and gets the, 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 the word out there by nature. A lot of Penn state fans are very uncomfortable with the whole idea of athletes getting paid. And I understand that, but if you want to compete Everybody else is doing it, and I know that doesn't necessarily make it right, but it's the way it is. And if you want to compete, you're going to have to be able to to to, to compete on the NIL level as well. And that may not be an easy thing for for some people to digest, but it's the way it is. And if Penn State doesn't get on board, and if the the fan base doesn't get on board, Penn State's going to be left behind. So in a way, I think this could be a good thing that it's forcing people to have these conversations. It's forcing people to take a harder look at what it's going to take to compete with everybody else. Yeah, I mean, impactful change often comes from uncomfortable moments, and Penn State has one of those uncomfortable moments on their hands right now. And uh, we'll continue to monitor that moving forward. Uh, it, it is such a huge discussion uh, raging across college athletics right now. And this isn't the only campus where there's an identity crisis ongoing about how to move forward with this kind of uh, college athletics uh, reality. And, and, and we'll see. But the NCAA set the stage for this a long time ago. And here we are. And now Penn State dealing with it internally and in a very public way that is uh, shocking to a lot of folks, but maybe it needed to happen. Uh, we'll see how that comes out of this whole process. Guys, we have pro day on Friday. We got a chance to get back over to Haluba Hall where we will be on Tuesday evening for another Penn State practice and some conversations with James Franklin and multiple <clears throat> players. But in terms of Friday, it was all about the, the outgoing Nittany Lions. A dozen former Penn State players, a bunch of former team captains, guys who meant a lot to that 11-win season last season, on display, putting it all out there for 32 NFL franchises that were represented in Happy Valley on Friday afternoon. Parker Washington, not able to participate. We'll talk about him in a bit. He, he's still waiting to get physically active. But it was a key moment for guys like P.J. Mustafer and Sean Clifford and Jair Brown and Joey Porter Jr., who, although he has locked down first-round status in a lot of people's opinions, was out there working through drills as well. Mark, we'll start with you. It's always an interesting thing, not just what you expect to see at Pro Day, but the things that pop up you don't expect to see, like John Scott Jr. from the Detroit Lions coming back uh, you know, in, in the mentor role with P.J. Mustafer and Nick Tarburn. He's been their coach for three years. Now he's wearing an NFL hat. He's at their Pro Day. you got Mike McDonald, the Miami Dolphins head coach. You had multiple general managers, including those with top 10 picks in team facilities. Where do you want to start with this conversation? Yeah, I mean, I, I was hoping that we might be able to see Parker Washington do something. 
but he he wasn't able to do anything, and, and that's too bad. You know, I just wonder where this is all going to kind of play out for him. But you know, he actually made a good point that you know he's gambling on himself, and had he decided to come back, who's to say that he might not have been injured again? You know, so I at this point I'm nothing but a Parker Washington fan because uh, we're no longer covering him. Uh, but I hope I hope this decision works out well for him. I thought the other guy who, you know, helped himself in a in a in a, a, a kind of weird way was Sean Clifford. I thought he 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 tested well. He didn't throw well. Now you know that's kind of like oh well, kind of the elephant in the room that he didn't throw particularly well. But you wonder if somebody somebody's going to give him an opportunity, and I'm anxious to see what he's able to do when he gets into a, into a program. You know, I, I think it's a long shot, uh, but now I could become a Sean Clifford fan. But I think running well w- was good for him. I think he could have helped himself if he threw better, but I think most people knew what his arm limitations were. And is he going to be able to carve out a niche for himself as that third-team quarterback who's a super smart guy, is able to pick up any offense because he worked with 74 different offensive coordinators at Penn State? Uh, you know, he's like, get me into a camp. Give me an opportunity. So he's going to be a guy that I think is going to be fun to pull for. Uh, it's going to be an uphill climb, but I think the fact that he tested well uh, but w- was at least a positive for him. And I know that's a backhanded compliment, but I know a lot of eyes are on him as well. Since I met Sean Clifford when he was 16 years old, the one thing you could always sense with him is he's a guy who doesn't have trouble finding motivation, ways to motivate himself, things that can be a thorn in his side that can spur him on and I mean, it didn't take long in our conversation on Friday, Mark, for him to go right at it about being, in his words, snubbed from the NFL Combine invitation list. And I figured he would venture down that path a little bit. I wouldn't. I didn't think he'd dive in head first, though. And uh, he was making some very pointed comments at the people who assemble those lists and 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 decide which quarterbacks are out there in Indianapolis uh, uh, several weeks ago for the NFL Combine. And he wasn't one of them. He felt like based on uh, his track record and the case uh, that that he built here at Penn State. Obviously, he's a record-setting quarterback, aided in large part by the by the COVID year. But as a four-year starter with a program like Penn State the amount of wins he racked up, but uh, he felt like he was, uh, he was snubbed. I mean, he didn't, he didn't say uh, anything else but that. And he said 10 teams uh, had maintained communication with him. Uh, NFLPA collegiate bowl was, it was a good opportunity for him. He mentioned meeting with the Dallas Cowboys this week. He was on a call with the Denver Broncos for an hour zoom meeting last week. Um, and, and he said, you know, kept me in a camp roster. He says he's going to perform like a pro and he clearly thinks he is going to stick around the NFL for a while, uh, maybe win himself a starting job. And, and that's the mentality you've got to really take when everyone's telling you it's not going to happen, whether it's Penn State media people or NFL draft experts putting together their rankings and their projections. Because right now, sure doesn't seem like Sean Clifford is going to hear his name called during the seven round process. And what comes after that is, you know, he's going to have to really decide which of these camps, which of these opportunities do I want to pick for myself? And this is a savvy guy. He's got the business background. So that's going to be his first big test. If he doesn't get that draft pick is coordinating where his landing spot's going to be, which quarterback coach, which offensive coordinator, which quarterback room does he want to put himself in that he can maybe set himself apart. And with a quarterback, remember, don't need to be on that active roster on a week-by-week basis. But if you're being kept around and, and as a practice arm, you know, that's good enough to put you in the mix to maybe get that bump up when somebody gets hurt. And that's all he's really desiring right now. And uh, for a guy who's used to being QB1 here for a long time, it's going to be a, a big difference for him to have to settle in and be okay with being QB3 or, or the standby guy. 
Yeah, one quick other point. Uh, you know, maybe somebody brings him in as a mentor for one of these younger quarterbacks like Jalen Hurts <laughs> or Tua, right? I mean, he could come in and, and be a mentor for, you know, one of these young quarter quarterbacks. And I'm only saying, if Sean Clifford's watching this, I'm just goofing around, buddy. I, I You know, honestly, I do hope he gets an opportunity, and it's going to be fun to see what happens if he does get that opportunity. Add another soundbite to, to Sean's lengthy <laughs> list of, of those that he can he can get some motivation from. But yeah, Sean will be 25 though in July, so we're talking about uh, certainly not your run of the mill NFL rookie at quarterback, and that's a lot of time for a guy who may not get drafted. But it's Sean Clifford, and we dedicate a lot of time to here on the podcast, and I appreciate the the raw emotion that that he put on display for us a little bit on Friday. Now Joey Porter Jr. a little bit more at ease with up with what is upcoming for him in a few weeks. Uh, he was very definitive in talking about becoming that first defensive back off the board for Penn State in their history. He's also talked about bring, uh, Kalen King getting brought up in some of these meetings with NFL scouts and him saying, well, that's the next cornerback one for next year. Daniel, uh, Joey Porter Jr. out there put some of his coverage skills, let most of his testing stand on what he did in Indianapolis. You can understand why you would have that motivation. But out there and, and chatting a guy that seems to be very comfortable and enjoying his training out in Southern California, living across from the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, when, when you talk about uh, putting more sound bites on Sean Clifford's uh, motivation reel, it's a, a good thing you didn't kick it to me there. Um, but, you know, I think talking about Joey Porter Jr., I, I thought that his testing numbers were were interesting. You know, he improved on that vertical jump and that broad jump uh, from the combine. And that's kind of, uh, a, you know, a thing that people talk about where guys tend to perform a little bit better at their pro days uh, because of the comfort level. And also you're not being dragged around a convention center uh, and a stadium for, you know, four days in a row. Um, so you're able to be a little bit more at ease, you know, prepare a little bit more your own way. Um, and I think that showed with, I think Porter had a, a two inch improvement uh, on his vertical uh, up to 37 and a half and a couple inch uh, improvement on his broad jump up to 10, 11. So, you know, I think that, you know, Joey Porter Jr. Is, has done everything right uh, in the pre-draft process. You know, we knew that he had the length. Uh, we knew he had those long arms uh, that NFL teams are going to covet. You know, he has that wingspan from the combine. He supplemented it uh, with these testing numbers that you want to see. Uh, that make him, you know, one of the more, you know, you know, when you combine it with the athletic, with the measurements, one of the more uh, elite athletes that you can get at the position. I think that he has the tape from last year, uh, especially in that Purdue game where he was just getting thrown at again and again and again. And, you know, for the most part was able to, to come up on it. Uh, he was able to cut down on some of the penalties this year. I think the one area that, you know, it's kind of the, the one hole in his resume is the lack of interceptions. Um, you know, some maybe some questions about ball skills there. But, you know, at, at the same time, if you're doing your job as a cornerback, no one's throwing at you to begin with. So I don't know how much stock you can really put into the interceptions there. But I think Joey Porter Jr. has done everything right. And I think he's well positioned, uh, you know, to be the one of the first cornerbacks uh, off, uh, you know, called. Uh, he said he's going to be in Kansas City at the draft. So he's going to get to walk across the stage shake Roger Goodell's hand, put on the hat, you know, pose with the jersey. Uh, he said it's something that he's been looking forward to for a long, long time uh, and that he remembers watching when he was younger. So, yeah, I think that you know, he's done a really, really nice job. You know, this decision to come back uh, for his fourth year at Penn State. I know that when he made that announcement on Christmas Day two years ago that he was coming back for his fourth year, I think there are some people with kind of the thought process, you know, well, where, where would he go? 
Um, you know, I think he would have been drafted last year based on his pedigree, uh, his measurements, his, his athleticism. But I think coming into this year with that hype uh, of being, you know, potentially CB1 and then living up to it, uh, you know, I think that really speaks volumes to the work that he's done. So, you know, who knows if it'll be in the top 10, in the top 15. I don't see him getting out of the top 20, but I don't think we'll have to wait very long to hear Joey Porter Jr.'s name called, uh, you know, on in a couple Thursdays in April. Uh, he went four, four, six in the 40 yard dash of the combine, by the way, going back to what, what you mentioned about Sean Clifford, Mark, he went four, five, seven in the 40 yard dash. That was really important to him. He said to reassert uh, his athleticism. He feels like maybe that got lost along the way. He was a big time rusher earlier in his college career. Less of that as his career went on, but that four, five, seven matches up with Trace McSorley did uh, leading up to his uh, opportunity in the NFL uh, back in 2019. McSorley two inches uh, shorter and, and about 20 pounds lighter at that stage than, than Sean Clifford currently is. Quick uh, whirlwind stuff here. Going back to Parker Washington, uh, said that it was a rolled up on his ankle on the practice field during that Rutgers week in November. It was a four to five uh, month timeline for his recovery. That matches up essentially with the draft. So, yeah, he really bet on himself. He's not ruling out the opportunity to, to put on some work for NFL franchises between now and April 27th when the draft starts. But only if he feels up for it, only if he can get some some work ahead of that to train for it. Through the combine, through pro day to this point, no on-field activity for Washington, who's working out in Arizona. He spent some time with Jahan Dotson lately, who's also working down in Arizona. And then Juice Scruggs and Brenton Stranger are a couple, I think, that, that they may have a really big range of where they could land day two, day three. I know Scruggs, he told us he feels like he, he's going to go around uh, day two, but he says a lot of projections there look more like day three center guard in the mix for Scruggs. And then Strange doesn't stand out and jump off the page when you look at some of these other tight ends. But I think as you start to evaluate his game a little bit more, you look at what he was able to accomplish athletically here in the last month or so. He really seems to be in a pretty stabilized situation coming out of this whole process. He's a guy that when he went pro, I think there were probably some questions where would he would land in the draft. Looks like that's trending up, if anything, uh, regarding Brendan Strange. Uh, do we want to hit any other players here? I know Jair Brown had himself a day, uh, but we've got a lot over at Lions247.com, and, and we got a, a mailbag to get to here with just a couple minutes. But if you have anything to say uh, about someone else that we didn't get to, go for it. I would just add that uh, we talked to Barney Amore for a while, uh, the punter, and uh, he said that he was told that based on how he kicked at Pro Day, he would have charted second um, at the Combine. Who knows what that actually means and what actually goes into that. Um, but he did say that how he performed at Pro Day and, and the feedback that he got has maybe changed his approach or you know, changed how he's looking at uh, the prospects of a professional career. So you know, that's someone who we're not going to hear his name called on Thursday, Friday or Saturday. But you know, Saturday night, Sunday afternoon, it'll be interesting to see where he lands. Yeah, I think Stoll has a chance to yep. be a guy who's in the league for for a long time. Again, I, I don't think he'll be drafted. Snappers typically aren't drafted. But, um, yeah, I mean, for the job he did at Penn State for the last 17 years. But really, I mean, he never really heard his name at Penn State, which meant that he was just doing a great job. He could, he could handle both snapping duties. Uh, we saw where he could hold in a pinch uh, if, you, if you needed him to do it, which I think was pretty smart on his part because you, you never know what – is going to come into play with those NFL rosters as limited as they are. So uh, wish him luck. And then PJ, PJ Mustafer, uh, you know, I, I'm, I really, I, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on where he's going to go, but I do believe that he's the kind of guy that once he gets into the league, 
he's going to be another one of those Penn State defensive tackles who's in the league for eight, ten years. You know, knock on wood that he stays healthy. Uh, if he does get banged up at some point, he's going to be in TV pretty quickly. Uh, but I, I think he's got a, a bright future for him in the NFL. The mock draft thing that we do where we all pick where all the Penn State guys are going to go, we'll do that in a couple weeks. That's going to be really fun and really challenging this year because, yeah, I mean, Joey Porter Jr. will be relatively easy. But beyond that, there is a wide range mm. where most of these guys could go. And there are some guys who – you know, will they actually get drafted? And then, you know, a guy you mentioned, Parker Washington, had he been uh, healthy, you know, you're probably looking at a third-round guy, but he's banged up, but can he do anything? So that's going to be a lot of fun when we have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, Parker said all over the place was how he would characterize his draft projection. He says there's been a lot of day two, a lot of day three, um, and the status of him unable to, to work for teams doesn't exactly help that process and the, the uh, you know, the unclear nature of it. And there will be some dart throws in round seven for us when we project that. You know, uh, a guy like Nick Tarburton's interesting to me. I thought he looked pretty good out there in front of the NFL scouts. He waited his opportunity to go, and, and he wasn't a combine guy. Played a lot of football late in his career for Penn State. Went out there, 484, 9'8 uh, broad at, at six foot three, 255-pound range. This is somebody that I think maybe surprises some folks across the Penn State universe and, and, and gets an opportunity to and maybe gets a chance to extend his stay in the league. We always see it year in, year out. Some guys don't stick around the league some as long as we expect others end up spending a decade in the NFL and you wonder how it happened after you watch them in college. And uh, that's the fun nature of what happens next in these football careers. Uh, all bets are off and some guys will make a lot more money right off the bat, but uh, big opportunities for 12, 13 Penn state players here. And one other quick thing, Tyler, yeah, sure. really a good group of guys. Um, you know, I know we, we, we could probably say that every year, but I really had a lot of fun covering these guys. And I thought it was really cool that every single one of them took time to meet with the media uh, afterward, you know, that, that, that was cool. They don't have to do that. And for them to take the time to do that, but it's, it's fun now, as I said earlier, to be able to go from covering these guys, to be able to, to, to be fans of them, unless they're like Micah Parsons and go to the Cowboys, which then I, I can't be fans. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's fun to be able to actually follow these guys and have a little bit of a rooting interest in them. All right, let's finish up with a mailbag. We haven't gone to this way in a while, so five-star mailbag time to finish up the show. And it brings us a spring ball question. We'll be back on the spring ball field on Tuesday, uh, Penn State practice in the evening, followed by James Franklin press conference. We'll have uh, defensive coordinator Manny Diaz and a few different players all on our 24-7 uh, sports uh, VIP access at lines247.com. Uh, right now, our mailbag asks about this roster and what is the most underrated storyline of the 2023 spring practice for Penn State? And Daniel, we'll begin with you, and Mark, you can follow. Speaking of, of roster management, uh, a little, little tidbit that just came across the timeline for basketball, uh, Logan Imes, uh, the – you know, class of 2023 commit has requested his release uh, from Penn State, according to the Indy Star. Uh, Penn State is still an option once there's a new staff, according to the report. But Notre Dame is also an option there. So uh, that's Logan Imes, a teammate of Braden Shrewsbury on the AAU circuit. So just and to, as we uh, forget, we didn't even mention the fact that Evan Mahaffey, you know, keeps going back to basketball, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it here? And, and Mahaffey <laughs> entering the transfer portal, a member of that freshman class that Penn State's now trying to to find a way to, 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 to salvage some of that group, if, if not all of that group, as they as they deal with the coaching staff change. So thank you, Daniel. Back to our secondary sport, <laughs> football. What do you have for us? 
Um, yeah, so most underrated storyline of, of spring practice, I think I'm going to look at the, the battle for the number four and five safety spot. I think that we saw last year how Manny Diaz and Anthony Poindexter used that position. We saw four guys playing heavy snaps uh, between Jair Brown, Jalen Reed, Keaton Ellis, Zaki Wheatley. Jair Brown has moved on, and that leaves a, an opening there if Penn State wants to go down that road again of playing four guys or even five. You know, KJ Winston is someone who I think is very well positioned to move in and take on a role. He burned his red shirt last year, uh, primarily playing special teams, uh, but saw a lot. There's a lot of garbage time down the stretch. So he saw, you know, a decent number of snaps on the back end of the defense. Once these games got out of hand, you know, he was a, a kid out of DeMatha, you know, was the all met player of the year uh, down there, which is a, a pretty big honor um, coming out of DC. So you know, I think that he's someone that could potentially make an impact. And then you have Makai flowers who, you know, came in last year, redshirted, um, talked to him last month. And he said that he put on, you know, he's put on a lot of good weight uh, and that's really helped him out there on the field. And he feels a lot more adjusted to college life. Um, I think that he kind of alluded to the fact that making the adjustment to college of football class, everything that goes into you know being a, a division one athlete was a bit of an adjustment for him, but he feels like he's made that adjustment and, you know, it's putting himself in a position to potentially compete in there too. You know, on top of that, you got guys like King Mack, Takari Nelson. Um, you know, I've, I've lost track of which guys are supposed to be corners, which ones are supposed to be safeties. Um, but there are people uh, coming in that, um, you know, can compete for that spot. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. And if Diaz and Poindexter elect to play that many safeties again uh, this year. Last year, by the way, four safeties got 370-plus game snaps. Jair Brown led the group with almost 700 snaps. He led the defense with that many snaps. But you had Jalen Reed, Keaton Ellis, and Zicky Wheatley fall somewhere between 370 and 430 snaps. So, yeah, it is a, a lot of distribution at that position. On to me. On to you. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that the, the, you weren't asking for like a little bit more from Daniel on the snap count there. Sorry, I'm talking to Ka I'm talking to Calvaruso right now. That's funny. Again, I'm I'm texting with somebody else as well. I'm sorry. I should have all my. Well, you both have my undivided attention. So <laughs> yeah. Go uh, listen, you know James Franklin uh, last week talked about the turnover in analysts. You know, Wiz and Hunt, Rocco, two of the more high profile, well known guys, kind of moving on. And I think the fact that Frank Leonard is back is really big for this team because he's a guy who can help fill trout line with the offensive line. And Tyler, you mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think when we were heading into spring practice about how many bodies are out there for, for this offensive line. I think there's what 14, 15 scholarship guys, some really good walk-ons. And then when you're bringing in true freshmen like Birchmeyer, Donka and Williams, um, to be able to have a veteran guy like Frank out there, Frank Leonard, uh, I think that's huge. Uh, you're, you're not relying on Troutwine and a GA to kind of take care of all of that. You know, you have a guy who is limited to what he can do as an analyst, but we've seen him at camp in the way that he can communicate with young players. And I think we probably saw, yeah, I think we, we definitely saw William, uh, Williams and Birchmeyer and probably Donka too at camp with him, you know, yep. knowing what he's all about and just a, a, a dynamic outgoing. And I think to have that voice in the room, it may not sound like a, a big thing, 
But I think we saw the positive impact that Frank Leonard had on Troutwine last year. And that's not a knock on Troutwine because I think Troutwine is, is showing himself to be a really good offensive line coach. But he wasn't the most vocal guy. And I think now you're seeing Trout start to be a little bit more vocal. And I think to have that extra guy, that extra veteran, a guy who's been in the NFL, a guy who's been at different college spots, be in that offensive line room to work with all of those guys, I think is big. So I know that's kind of out there, but when we were kind of uh, talking about who's going to go in what direction before the pod, and I said, I don't think anybody's going to, I don't think I'm going to step on anybody's toes with mine. No, and, and I like the pick because we did discuss Frank Leonard last year when we really got to hear him uh, during the camp circuit with the prospects. And he is very much a, a different uh, voice in the room than Phil Troutwine is. He was very much, you know, measured, a quiet approach. You know, Landon Tengwall is the guy who's told us him before. Troutwine's not a yeller. Well, you know, Leonard's more of that classic offensive line room yeller, and this is a guy who can really back it up. He's got four decades of professional work in, in this industry. He's coached at the NFL level with multiple franchises. He's been a position coach for various colleges, and he worked hand-in-hand with Phil Troutwine on a daily basis back at Boston College. So it has been a really nice under-the-radar pickup and continues to be you know, an underrated storyline, as you say, of what they're doing as a staff. Uh, I'm going to go to, you know, there's a lot of positional competitions to talk about, new starters to discuss. Everyone wants to focus in on a guy like Drew Aller, what's going to happen at wide receiver, um, who's going to come along in that middle linebacker spot where there was a lot of divided snaps last year. To me, with what we think this team can be as a, a top five, top ten preseason program, uh, I think you can't overlook some of the more simple aspects of it, which is kicking the ball through the uprights and punting the ball to put your team in a good position and, and to give yourself that field position advantage and to help your defense out. And right now we just can't quite get a feel on what those two elements are going to look like. Jake Pinniger took some lumps during his career, but I think overall his body of work as a senior, you know, he didn't put you into any precarious spots. In fact, he made some really important field goals along the way and, Let's face it, during the Penn State's win streak down the stretch, they were just rolling over teams. So we didn't get in a spot where you need to trot out Jake Pinniger for a winning field goal. But Barney Moore answered the bell in a big way because you were coming off back-to-back punting careers that were at a All-American, All-Big Ten level with Blake Gillikin and then Jordan Stout. And you wondered, is this going to be a huge drop down to this former Colgate punter that no one's really ever heard of? And instead, Barney Amore wasn't All-American level, wasn't a first-team All-Big Ten kind of level like we've seen in the past, but more than held up his end of the bargain. It wasn't a glaring issue. There were some moments during the season uh, that Barney would have probably have liked back, but he got off to a hot start and overall uh, put put together a, a nice body of work for himself. And now I wonder, as we roll it forward, uh, you've got Alex Paquetta, who's a, a scholarship signee a couple of years ago, a guy who was trained with Blake Gillikin. Uh, and then you've got Riley Thompson, who comes in at, out of FAU, really strong year down there for the Owls. One year of eligibility left. A really interesting background for this guy uh, coming by way of Australia. He's 23 years old. Uh, they deemed him worthy of a scholarship. So you've got two guys really jockeying position. And then Jake Pinniger uh, moves on. And, and so who's going to be kicking field goals for you? The focus there is on another transfer and another roster returner. Uh, Sander Sahadak, it's time to show what you're made of. Year three former number one kicker in 24-7 sports rankings for the 2022 class, 2021 class. 
this is his moment to, to go win that job. And they brought in Alex Falcons out of Columbia. He doesn't blow you away with his numbers, but one thing he did really well with beyond the field goal conversions was touchbacks. Got it done in that department. Remember last year, that was a bit of a bugaboo for Penn State, was figuring out the kickoff specialist situation. Took him a while. Jake Pinneger ended up winning that job and, and, and running with it down the stretch, but he's gone. So those are three areas, kicking field goals and extra points, getting those touchbacks for out of your kickoff specialist and then being able to flip the field with an effective punter who's not going to be once a game setting you up for some kind of, all right, defense, make a stand because you got to bail us out of the situation. So I'm going there because we can talk a lot and we will about other positions on offense and defense. But those are the areas that can derail and ruin what shapes up to be a very special season for Penn State if you don't address them. And they're doing that right now. And I think it's an area that we'll get a little bit more intel on coming out of this practice on Tuesday as we get a chance to ask more questions about those position battles. So finish it off with a special teams note. Guys, appreciate all the stuff you've done on the basketball front. And, of course, we got a lot of football to discuss here in the upcoming weeks. Uh, anything else to add before we step aside? Sounds like we've got a lot of work to do uh, back on the site. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's going to be fun covering uh, open practice today. And then a shout-out to Penn State for the job that they've done in making not only Franklin but Diaz and then multiple players, some big-name players available tonight. So stay tuned to the site. We'll have plenty of coverage from practice and the interviews. That's right. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Daniel Gowan, Mark Brennan, appreciate you both. Thanks, yeah. Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. And thanks again to Tyler Calvaruso for breaking down all the recruiting conversations with us, a couple new commitments on board, stories and more at lines247.com to explore right now. Uh, as we said, as you witnessed here, as we record the podcast, things are happening uh, all the time right now in the Penn State athletics world beyond spring football practice and basketball very much still front and center as we continue to track what's happening there. Pat Kraft has a big decision to make. Uh, what kind of a backing does he have right now to be able to get that done? What kind of a package can Penn State offer? All those stuff, I think by the time we get to our next episode, we could have answers to. If not, we have more to talk about then. Uh, between now and then, follow us at lions247.com. For everyone else involved here, I'm Tyler Donahue stepping aside. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.